It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. 27 minutes after the hour, there are a lot of ways to measure success in the world of radio. Obviously, uh, the most common metric is ratings. Uh, the stations and the personalities that do well in ratings are the one that are the ones that are highly regarded. And the most important aspect for people that try to make a living in this field, especially anybody that's a general manager or the owner of a station, is revenue. This the personalities and the shows that generate the most revenue are the ones that are most important to a station or a radio company's bottom line. Then there's the intangible aspects of what makes radio or a radio personality so good. You know, if you're a veteran talk radio listener, you can listen to someone and know if they've got the chops to be great on the radio. Well, our next guest is not only one of my favorite talk show hosts of all time, but he is someone who is three for three. He's generated the kind of revenue and ratings that most uh, radio personalities can only dream of in market after market, format after format, and he's also someone that anybody that knows the radio businesses acknowledges is a real pro. I am very, very pleased to be joined by veteran radio talk show host and uh, podcaster Tom Likas. Tom, thanks for joining me on the radio. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Do you care? (laughs) Well, you know my stock and trade. Probably not. (laughs) Hey, uh, Tom, obviously you've always been very open that um, you were on the radio to make money and you were doing what you did in the media and still do what you do to not for charity or love of what you did. I'm sure you did love what you did, but because you wanted to make money. And uh, you've been very open with the fact that you're making money doing this podcast, a subscription podcast that people can check out at premiumtom.com. I have to think you have a significantly diminished audience that you're reaching on a daily basis or on a weekly basis than when you were on the radio. I'm curious, how does that affect you, if at all? Do you care that you're not being listened to by as many people as you were when you were on terrestrial radio? No, because I was never in it for the ego, Frank. Never. Um, I'm in it for the money. I used to say on the radio, and people thought it was a joke. I used to say, people would say things like, um, why are you doing this show? Why do you do it? I said, do it for money. And they say, what do you mean? I said, if I'm here today, I'm here because I want money. When I have enough money, I'm not coming in anymore. Now, I said that many times. And people thought it was a punchline. And uh, just this week, it will be 15 years since I did a daily radio show. I wasn't kidding. Wow. I came in to make the money. I came in to, uh, you know, come like a flash of lightning, a bolt of lightning, uh, uh, get ratings, generate a lot of revenue, make a lot of appearances, come up with some ancillary businesses. I'm in the wine business. I'm in other business. And, uh, but, but it, always the goal was to make money. I live on a 20 acre compound in Santa Barbara wine country. And uh, that was always my goal was to enjoy, you know, the last 50 or 40 years of my life, living where I want to live, doing what I want to do and coming into the radio station or any job in an office five days a week. I did it for 40 years and I'm done. 
You know, I remember uh, we've talked before about when uh, the radio company that you were working for uh, and the station that you were on flipped formats. They still paid you out the rest of your very healthy contract. I'm reading a book now by a, a pro wrestler who talks about, you know, him being suspended for something that he doesn't even really think he did wrong. But he basically said that being paid your full salary for 15 or 16 weeks without having to do anything is the greatest thing in the world. I'm curious, was that your experience after uh, your station flip format? Yes. Yes. I had a five-year, no-cut contract, and uh, without getting too specific, in the eight-figure range. Hmm. And uh, so one day I got called in by the, uh, I don't know, it was the HR manager or whoever it was. I got called in I was told, the station was going to change format. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. So I expect I'll be paid by full contract. Yes. Fine. I won't come in anymore. And the money, it was CBS radio when there was such a thing. (laughs) And uh, they paid me every penny they owed me. They were very good to me. I got nothing bad to say about CBS or any of the people who were there at the time. Uh, but uh, sure, I had 37 paid months of vacation. You, you, know, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Richard Bay, who's a friend of mine, who's been a guest on the show, used to be very big in the world of TV. And he got fired at, at a time when he was making a whole lot of money at, right after he had signed a two or three year contract extension. And a lot of people and I've been with him when they when people have said this to him, oh, that's so terrible that you were fired. I can't believe they did that to you. We really miss seeing you on TV. How could they do that? And basically he says, well, I mean, save your 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 sympathies for people that are slightly less fortunate. I loved it. I was making more money than I ever did without having to do anything. I got to send my parents to Europe, went for a trip around the world, and I didn't have to do anything. And I want to ask you now about Don Lemon, because apparently CNN is going to be paying Don Lemon who, and it has nothing to do with his uh, political views or anything like that, I I think was pretty mediocre on television. I didn't think he brought anything special to the table. They're going to be paying him $24.5 million to settle his uh, lawsuit against the network. He's going to get paid $24.5 million to end this conflict with CNN, and this is basically what is thought to be the full contract value during the three and a half years since he was on the air. I think it's a good bet that uh, Tucker Carlson, who has the same lawyer as Don Lemon, is going to get the same deal at Fox. So I guess my question, Tom, is how do you sign up for that? How do you sign up for getting fired and getting paid your full salary? Well, the way it generally works is you come in and nobody's listening or watching to that station or that network at that time. You come on, you fire things up. You get people angry, you drive people crazy, and then when the ratings go up, the advertising revenue goes up, and then uh, when the advertisers uh, uh, multiply, now you have new people weighing in on what you should be talking about on the air, what you shouldn't be doing on the air, and uh, at some point, uh, the next management, or the one after that, comes in and says, we can't have this. He's on the air saying all this stuff. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. I was told while working for CBS Radio 
um, and I was not working for the network. I was working for the local station in L.A. I was told, don't talk about the NFL. And I said, why? The NFL is like that. That's the American dream. It's everybody's favorite pastime. Why can't I talk about the NFL? Well, the other day, you went on the air and you said that people are getting injured, these head injuries, it's terrible, we should do something about that. And so I said, uh, yeah, but, you know, this was, uh, you know, 15 years ago. I said, uh, yeah, wait a minute. L.A. doesn't have an NFL team. What do you care? We don't carry (laughs) NFL games. We don't carry the radio version of Monday Night Football. None of it. And the uh, person at the station said to me, the manager type, he said to me, "Uh, well, look, uh, one day L.A. may get a football team. And if it does, we want a chance to bid on that. We want a chance to bid on the rights. And if you're on here attacking the NFL, we'll never get that opportunity. And I'm going to tell you, you'll be surprised because I would know that Mr. Outrageous, um, I, I stopped talking about the NFL because there were, I had, uh, uh, you know, uh, eight figures uh, that I wanted to collect every penny. I didn't want to get in any lawsuits like Don Lemon. I wanted to work until they uh, didn't want to pay me anymore. And I, I just wanted to get all the money I was promised. The other thing I was told never to talk about, believe it or not, was seven up. Don't talk about Seven Up. Now I didn't even know they. I, you hardly know they make Seven Up anymore, right? I mean, it's like all these other brands have come out, Sprite and Starry and this and that. Well, don't talk about Seven Up. Well, you said something on the air the other day, and let me tell you what I said. I I, I saw a can of Seven Up when I was at the supermarket, and it said on like a banner on the can said, um, "New." Um, all natural, new, all natural, seven up. But then if you read the label more carefully, it told you that seven up lemon lime soda contained no lemon and no lime, no juice, <laughs> no, no pulp, no the red rind shavings. Right, so what was natural? <laughs> What's all natural about that? Well, I said that. And I said to the management type, I said, wait a minute. Um, Seven Up's not an advertiser. I checked before I came on and did that show. Not an advertiser. And here's what the general manager of the station told me. He said, well, yeah, but there's an energy drink that does advertise on the station. And they don't have their own delivery trucks. So they get delivered on the truck with Seven Up and Dr. Pepper and uh, Sunkissed. And uh, so when you talk about uh, 7-Up, it's causing us a problem with the energy drink that that rides on that truck. So there were no more shows about (laughs) 7-Up, even though I still say that no lemon and no lime means it is not all natural. I don't care what it says on the case. Uh, I, I think most uh, reasonable people would agree with you. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Tom Likas. You can uh, check him out at premiumtom.com. Does a, a terrific uh, podcast. Uh, Tom, you are obviously uh, somebody that has been able to forecast the trends in the media business better than most throughout your career. And one of the things that we're seeing, you mentioned the NFL other than live sports, it looks like nobody is watching 
any sort of television. There was some new numbers out yesterday, and no version of TV, not cable, not streaming, no one is able to grow an audience right now, with the exception of football and a couple of other sports, and some streaming services like Netflix. So the two winners are Netflix and Live Sports. Do you think television is, if not dead, dying, or can there be something that might save television? We've seen different personalities, different changes and trends in media that have brought new life to what was considered a dead format. Some people say Rush Limbaugh did that with the AM band back in the 80s. I'm not saying he did or didn't, but I'm curious, is TV passe? Yes, uh, it is very, you, and I you, you're a big fan of broadcasting history, so you sure. know what I'm saying is true, that, um, you know, we had something just like network TV at one point, network radio, mm-hmm. and the, in fact, the last network show was hosted on CBS radio by one Stan Freeberg in the 50s, and um, at TV's linear uh, grid of programming, that was an invention of radio. And uh, there were series like Jack Benny, and there were series like Fred Allen, and there were series like Good Wolf and Annie, and they just transferred that to television. Does anybody think that network radio is coming back? Mm. No. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the page has to turn now. Page has to turn. New things have to happen. And as far as calculating audiences, well, how hard is it to calculate your audience when it's available in your show is available in seven or eight different locations. And the Super Bowl was on how many channels is here? Channel two, <laughs> Paramount Plus, Nickelodeon. How do they even count all the viewers? Now they, they had the, the most watched uh, network television show of any, of all time, but many of the shows now are on so many outlets, Hulu and Apple TV plus, um, there's no one place that everybody sits down. You know, think back to what promos for TV looked like up until the 80s, where they, they used to promote networks as a place you would park your butt and sit for three hours and watch NBC. Who does that anymore? Mm-hmm. And who will ever do that again? It'll never happen. You know, there are a lot of young people, and when I say young, I'm not talking three or four. I'm talking 13, 14, 15 years old. They legitimately don't understand the concept of certain shows being on at certain times. They don't relate to the fact that if you wanted to watch Seinfeld, you had to be at your television set at 9 o'clock on uh, Thursday night. They are so accustomed to whatever you want to watch, being able to watch it whenever you want to watch it. That's right. And once that genie's out of the bottle, it's not going back in. Why would it? Who is going to you know, go out and get a pizza on Saturday night and sit and watch CBS for three hours like they did in the era of the Bob Newhart show? It's never going to happen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. Um, one of the things that we saw this week was President Biden going on Seth Meyers' show. There was a time when a president or a presidential candidate going on one of these late-night shows was a big deal. You can go all the way back to uh, John F. Kennedy appearing on The Tonight Show with Jack Parr, but you can also go back 32 years ago to uh, Bill Clinton appearing on Arsenio Hall. More recently than that, uh, George uh, W. Bush appearing on David Letterman. A whole host of political figures appearing with uh, with John with uh, Jay Leno, it's almost like, you know, he he made a little bit of news, Biden, and you would think it would be very newsworthy because he does so many fewer interviewers than, uh, interviews than his predecessors, but it's almost like it happened and it's over. I'm curious, where do you see the late night TV shows these days specifically in terms of their quality and in terms of their impact on the, the culture? They're in the death throes. Um... You know, if you ever want evidence of this, anybody who has a Roku box on their TV, and I know many people do, um, if you look at the Roku channels where they have their own set of channels, one of the channels they have is Johnny Carson. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. It's great. Right? 24-7 Johnny Carson. And when you turn on Johnny Carson and you hear Ed McMahon's voice and Johnny's guests tonight are Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. Uh, Jonathan Winters, uh, you know, and now when you turn on late night TV, our guest is Joe Blow, who is the best supporting <laughs> actor on third or fourth banana on a show on Hulu you've never heard of and will never watch. And and half the guests who are on now are people on these shows that have very few viewers. And uh, now you've got CBS using Stephen Colbert to hump every Paramount Plus dog. Uh, that is on the air. So um, uh, the the late night show and talk shows, I really only care now about the monologues or the one little comic bit they'll do in the beginning. And uh, the rest of the time, um, I I, I turn it off. Last night, I missed uh, Joe Biden on Seth Meyers. You know why? Because out here on the West Coast, I could see Seth Meyers' monologue uh, at uh, 10 p.m., So at 10 p.m. I go to YouTube and I put it up on my big screen and I watch Seth Meyers monologue. Last night when I was going Betty by, I happened to have the TV on NBC and oh, I said, well, I heard Biden might be on there tonight. I'm going to take a look. And uh, I took a look and I saw Amy Poehler for the 4,000th time (laughs) with a bottle of champagne. I'm not staying up for this. So I saw Biden's uh, appearance today. Uh, I've never stayed up till 1 a.m. to watch a talk show. Forget it. If, 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 for me, and by the way, it's not that I don't have any content or any entertainment. I do listen to the radio late at night, but I, that's just because I grew up with it. I would say that uh, probably a lot of people now uh, who are in their teens or 20s, they are listening to uh, other things, lots of other things. I mean, the fact is that there's apps where you can listen to any of 100,000 radio stations around the world. 
Um, which it, it sounds great on the surface, but if you work in radio, it's not a great thing. Oh, yeah. But I, I predicted many years ago that, uh, you know, one of the great things, one of the reasons we were so well compensated in radio is because of the scarcity of, of stations that broadcast a format. You know, in New York, at most, there were three stations doing talk radio. And even there, there wasn't even a 24-hour talk station until 1970, WMCA. And um, uh, now uh, I can listen to anything, anywhere. I can listen to other countries. When I was about to make a trip to Chile to go on a wine trip, I turned on the radio stations of Santiago, Chile, just to see what the weather was, if it was an earthquake, something was going on. Uh, people have access to anything and everything, and it's great for the audience to have all this content to choose from, but it ain't great for the people who work in the oh, industry. Yeah. No, no, it's a scary thing. Somebody that's had a lot of success in both radio and television is Wendy Williams, and uh, recently, even though she's a relatively young woman, only 59, she's been diagnosed with the same sort of ailment that Bruce Willis has, aphasia and uh, a type of dementia. And there's actually a documentary, which she apparently is a party to, she's the executive producer from what I understand, where they chronicle her descent into dementia. I brought this up the other day, and most people who called in, including a lot of people who had family members who had uh, suffered with similar ailments, they felt that this was exploitive rather than illuminating. I understand you've actually seen this Wendy Williams documentary. Give me your take on it. What do you think about this? I watch, I devoured all four episodes this week. And um, put it this way, Wendy Williams is listed as the executive producer. And if you read about the, how this documentary came to be, Wendy Williams let the documentary makers into her life and she got, got a piece of the action, a taste of uh, the profits by being named executive producer that guarantees her about, on average, half a percent of the gross. Uh, and what Wendy Williams was hoping to do, uh, because if you watch the show, she's become delusional about some of this stuff, in my opinion. Um, she wanted to document her uh, return to television. And so she thought this documentary was going to be showing how she's coming back from being fired and coming back from losing her husband uh, to an affair and coming back from whatever else she was coming back from. And, uh, well, as they filmed the documentary, it turned out that, you know, her eyes were bulging out and uh, she was uh, yelling at everybody and forgot things and forgot what city she was in. So now the producers of the documentary have to make a decision. Do we stop? We're halfway through or a third of the way through. Do we stop doing this or do we keep going? And uh, the documentary makers who wanted to help Wendy uh, do her comeback on this documentary. And they felt this was newsworthy and they had to keep going with it. They tried, they, they, they claim they tried to handle it in a sensitive, delicate manner. Look, the bottom line is Wendy Williams doesn't want people saying she's an alcoholic. And uh, so anytime anybody in her family tells her to stop drinking, she tells them, don't talk to me anymore. Get lost. So, you know, I mean, if she's saying that the documentary wasn't true, that the contents weren't true, I mean, um, I believe, and it's just my opinion, 
I believe that it's 100% true. Um, I, I've watched a lot of these documentaries, and some of them are, you know, ridiculous or gimmicky. But this was a documentary, and it, had, you know, it started off well enough, and then after a while, you see her appearing to lose her mind. If I was the producer of that documentary and I spent a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars on crews and lights and cameras and traveling to Los Angeles, traveling to Miami, and, and now I've got half a movie made, I'm not stopping in the middle. I'm going all the way to the end, and that's what they did. Uh, speaking of Wendy's, uh, the Wendy, Wendy's the restaurant made quite a bit of news yesterday by basically adopting this uber style surge pricing where they're going to charge more for certain amounts of uh, basically for people that go in there at certain times where the restaurant's busier my prediction is that you think this is great now uh, just to show you what other people are thinking there was actually a, a state assembly member from new york which tweeted the uh, the news story about this and said uh, and said i will draft a bill against this dystopian blank immediately. This is a state legislator from your old neck of the woods in the Bronx. Yeah. Um, Are they going to speak of the Bronx? Are they going to stop the New York Yankees from selling tickets using surge pricing? Or as they call it, dynamic pricing? I, I don't give them any ideas. I'm sure they, they will. No, wait, but it's already been, oh, yeah, I know, but they, the Yankees are doing this right now. They've been doing it. The Dodgers do it. Uh, there are several baseball no, teams. No, I'm saying don't give the state played. legislators any oh, ideas. Yeah. Well, you know, come on. The state, the New York state legislature has a long history of trying to make laws against the stupidest things. Uh, uh, like, for example, uh, when people decide that Bruce Springsteen's tickets are too expensive. Well, in Albany, they're always speak, they were speaking out against that and trying, they were going to make laws about how much you could charge for a concert ticket. People have a right to get a concert ticket for less than a hundred bucks. They have a right. No, they don't. No, they don't. If you don't like the price, watch them on TV. Uh, but you know, watch something else. You don't have to watch that. Uh, all these people love talking about freedom in America and then they want to make laws about stuff like that. Now, I understand if you make laws that say the, the fire department can't go on strike uh, sure. or the sanitation department can't. I get that. But we do, Wendy's is not a public necessity. It's junk food. Uh, it's, it's some of the best tasting junk food, but it's junk food. And I know I'm talking to the New York metropolitan area right now where people love to slam a couple of Dunkin' Donuts or a buttered roll at the 7-Eleven. Um, but let's face it, we're talking about junk food. We're all dying uh, to various uh, extents uh, from the stuff we are consuming. Less Wendy's would be better for everybody. Um, I don't, and that's like the argument about the minimum wage at fast food places. People will get upset about that. I, I'm upset um, uh, about the fact that the government is coming in and telling people the minimum wage needs to be 20 or $30 an hour. But in reality, I don't care if the minimum wage for fast food workers is $1,000 now. It's not my problem. Tom, on that note, we're going to have to end it there. It's always such a treat to talk with you. I hope we can do this again soon. Always. 
Thanks, Frank. The great Tom Like is checking out at uh, premiumtom.com. And uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on there. A ton of great stuff on there, even if you uh, choose the non subscription option. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation? Be my guest, 800 848 9222. 800 848 9222. Straight ahead.